A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. you are all well witches. First of all, I'm sorry this podcast episode is late. Last week with my birthday, it just knocked me off course with everything. I was back at work this week, but this podcast episode was also such a tricky one to put together research-wise. That's the thing I've learned with research. You have to be willing to go all in, right into the rabbit hole, And I feel like time-wise, I would have put out a half-assed attempt for Monday. I'm just catching up with myself after a busy week, but I am sorry. Today, we are talking all about the Norse goddess Hel. But to kick things off, we have our book review, which is The Black Witch, written by Laurie Forrest. This book was so popular within the Literary Witches Coven. Honestly, the minute they finished it, most of the witches, including myself, quickly bought the follow-up book, The Iron Flower, and are hammering away at that now. I loved this book. If I'm honest, I wasn't sure at first. It took me a little while to get into it, but I'm so glad I continued with it because it is escapism at its finest. If there is one thing I would say about this book is don't start it if you aren't prepared to read the rest of the saga. This first book leaves you on a cliffhanger and all of us instantly needed to know what was going to happen next. So let's get into what this book is about. This is the book's blurb. A new black witch will rise, her powers vast beyond imagining. Ellen Gardner is the spitting image of her grandmother who drove back the enemy forces in the last realm war. But while her people believe she will follow in her grandmother's footsteps and become the next black witch of prophecy, Ellen is devoid of power in a society that prizes magical ability above all else. When she is granted the opportunity to pursue her dream of becoming an apothecary, Ellen joins her brothers at Verpax University, but she soon realises that the university may be the most treacherous place of all for the granddaughter of the Black Witch. As evil looms and the pressure to live up to her heritage builds, Ellen's best hope of survival may be among a secret band of rebels, if only she can find the courage to trust those she's been taught to fear. 
This book is mainly set within Ellerin's university. So you can imagine the grand buildings. There is a kitchen on site that she works within to help pay her way through university. There's a small holding within the university grounds. And at times you can just imagine the fields, the scent of autumn leaves, the book set in autumn and winter, and even the pig pen that makes for an interesting but slightly perilous scene in the book. This book definitely pushes the boundaries in regards to looking at different races within the magical realm. There are some big issues dealt with within this book from one of the characters coming to terms with his sexuality, addiction as a result of trauma, domestic violence and ethnic cleansing. It sounds weird saying all that out loud in relation to this book, but this all relates to the magical realm the book is set in. However, you can see how the author has tried to show what happens in the real world. I'm someone who can't even watch the news as I get too emotional. So I found some of this quite hard hitting. However, well done. I talked to the other witches who read this with me as on Goodreads, this book had taken a bit of a bashing from other readers in respect to these themes. However, in my humble opinion and the opinion of some of the other witches, some of these issues have affected some of us in our own lives and it was a unanimous agreement that we felt the author had tackled it well. Coming back to the more lighter aspects, the characters are absolutely amazing. This is the sort of book when we had our Literary Witches Coven meeting to discuss it, I can remember pretty much every character's name. They all had a strong identity. They were characters you could warm to and actually care about what happened to them. I fell in love with Ellen, the main character, as the book progresses and as she continuously fights for what's right. She's a girl who goes about things the hard way just to prove her point against some of the tyrannous characters within this book. She develops throughout the book from a sheltered girl from the woods with no knowledge of what's out there in the real world to a character who is at the helm fighting for equality and fairness for all. At the beginning of the book, she wasn't much cop, but by the end of it, I was fully rooting for her. This book genuinely has a soft spot in my heart. I think you know it's a good book when you genuinely feel you have escaped somewhere entirely and that's how I felt reading it. At times I felt I was inside the university, I could see it all in my mind. I really felt lost when the book drew to a close. So I am of course about to, with a number of the other witches in the coven, read the next one in the saga. I have to say as well, this is a book that has had the most effect on witches in the literary witches coven. There was so much conversation about it. I was shocked at how many witches bought the second book straight away. Join me after the break when we talk about the Norse goddess Hel. Welcome back. 
talk about Hel. Hel is Norse goddess of the dead, queen of the underworld. The name Hel derives from the Gothic word Halia and the old High German word Hella, which roughly translates as underworld. But the essence of the word transmits the idea of concealment, a hidden place suggesting in a place of darkness. While later art often showed her as decaying and grotesque, the poetic Edda claims that her appearance more subtly hinted at her connection to death. She was a slight blue-grey colour and had a gloomy, downcast face, even as a child. Snorri Sturluson was an Icelandic historian, poet and politician. We talked about him before on the podcast. He was elected twice as law speaker of the Icelandic parliament, the Althing. Get ready for some terrible pronunciations today. He is commonly thought to have authored or compiled portions of the prose Edda, which is a major source for what is today known as Norse mythology. He wrote that apart from her perpetually fierce expression, the goddess Hel is easily recognisable by the colour of her skin and that it was half black and half white. This peculiar feature might refer to the role of the goddess Hel as a link between the bright world of the living and the dark underworld of the dead. Before we get into this, Hel is a goddess that had the most contradicting aspects to her than I found with other goddesses we have talked about on the podcast. From the research I've done I see this as being because Snorri Sturluson adopted a narrative on her in his writing that was more palatable to the Christian church. In my humble opinion and others who I follow in terms of mythology and witchcraft, I am inclined to see her as more of a goddess akin to Persephone or perhaps the Irish goddess Bub. Both goddesses she often has association with. I completely understand if you have a different take on this. I have researched this in real depth for this episode today and I will offer up to you what I have found and see where you stand on it. At the end of the day, this is mythology from hundreds of years ago and retellings of it will always change. But overall, I hope you come away from this episode knowing a lot more about this goddess. She is one of the three children of Loki and his mistress, the giantess Angaboda. She was a giantess, a witch and a werewolf called the Wolf of the Iron Wood. Hel grew up in Jotunheim with her brothers Fenrir the Great Wolf and Jormungandra the World Serpent. Because Hel was born of a god and a giantess, some say Hel is only a half-goddess who have higher standing than their half-god counterparts. Loki and Angaboda kept the existence of their children from the gods for some time, but when the Aesir learned that they had been born, they were greatly concerned. This makes me think of that family most towns have that's just full of wrong-uns, you know the ones, the whole family's got an ASBO, the older brother's in prison, everyone's on tag. You know the ones. 
prophecies of doom had been connected to Loki's offspring. Although Angaboda is not characterised in detail, the prose Edda also suggests that her involvement was alarming to the gods. Determined to reduce the risk posed by Loki's children, the gods immediately decided to take them from Jotunheim and put them in a safer place. Jormungandra the serpent had not yet reached his full size. He was thrown into the sea easily, although he would eventually grow large enough to encircle the world. The gods tried for a time to tame the wolf Fenrir. When he grew too large and vicious to trust, Tyr sacrificed his hand to have him bound with unbreakable chains. Of the three, Hel was the most human in appearance. The gods immediately noticed, however, that she was no ordinary giantess. Although she was one of Loki's monsters, she did not represent the same immediate physical threat as her brothers. Odin decided that Hel would be banished, but not placed in chains. Hell's Hall is called Elgidnir, meaning sleet cold, whose gates are guarded by Garm, the watchdog. His name is said to mean rag, and he is said to be a Cerberus-type dog. It's thought to be a land of mist, snow, and ice in the far north. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Muspelheim in the south was a land of fire and heat. Some divide the lowest worlds into Niflheim, land of Arctic cold and mist, and Helheimer or Niflhel, realm of the dead. I also read in a number of other accounts that like the goddess, her realm could be both bright and beautiful and dark at the same time, as is most of the living world we experience. In Alvismal, in the Poetic Edda, various names for weather conditions like clouds as well as the moon are given for hell. Non-cloudy days and sunlight are implied, telling us that in Germanic pagan hell there was changing weather and celestial light. Gilforginning is the first part of the 13th century prose Edda after the prologue. The Gilfaginning deals with the creation and destruction of the world of the Asir and many other aspects of Norse mythology. In chapter 34, it reads, Hel, he, meaning Odin, cast into Niflhelm and gave to her power over nine worlds to apportion all abodes among those that were sent to her, that is, men dead of sickness or of old age. She has great possessions there. Her walls are exceeding high and her gates great. Her hall is called sleet cold, her dish hunger, famine is her knife, idler her thrall, sloven her maidservant, pit of stumbling her threshold by which one enters, disease her bed, gleaming bale her bed hangings. She is half blue black, and half flesh colour, by which she is easily recognised, and very lowering and fierce. The Norse hell isn't the same as the Christian concept of hell, yet the word hell in English is derived from the name of the goddess. In the Christian hell, the sins of man are punished. 
in Niflhelm or Helheim, hell would determine the fate of the souls who entered her realm. The dead would transition through nine different stages of death and seers and shamans from other worlds would journey there to consult with them. Hell guards the dead and she has a glowing eye that sees all truth. She cannot be lied to. Her myth says that she is the one who judges all the souls that pass through Helheim. Hell's realm plays an important role in many of Norse mythology's most well-known stories. From the first prophecy of Ragnarok to the battle's brutal climax, Hell is at the centre of events. Some historians, however, think that this wasn't always the case. Hell, both the goddess and the place, show that in studying Norse mythology, it is often hard to separate ancient beliefs from later literature. Hell is attested to in the prose and poetic Eddas. In Hemskringla and Egil's saga, she is mentioned in the Gesta Danorum and her name appears on Bractiots, which are metal disc jewellery from the Viking period. In Scaldic poetry and on the Cetricome, a 6th century artefact, she is well known by her anglicised name, Hela. During Ragnarok, Hel opens the gates to her kingdom wide for all the dead souls to ride into battle with her father Loki on a ship of dead men's nails for the destruction and rebirth of the world. In Norse mythology, death is seen as something natural and not scary. It is part of the natural cycle of life. Hell is responsible for receiving and judging the spirits of all who have not perished in battle. And according to their deeds in life, she guides them to one of the nine levels of Helheim, which can be some kind of paradise or a torment. Snorri Sturluson later amended the view of hell. Influenced by medieval Christian notions of reward and punishment in the afterlife, he saw hell as the place where those who committed terrible crimes were sent. Through most of Norse history, however, people thought they were likely to enter hell's home after death. I referred to it earlier, but this is the story of the death of Baldur. Baldur was the son of Odin and of his wife Frigg. He was the Norse god of light and was one of the most amiable among the gods so that all of them loved him. One day Baldur began having premonition dreams announcing some great misfortune that would happen to him. Odin immediately went to the underworld where he met a dead Cirrus from whom he thought he could discover the meaning of the dreams. Having noticed that the underworld was decorated like a great event was to occur, he asked the Cirrus about the upcoming festivity and she revealed to him that it would have had Baldur as its main guest. Odin returned to Asgard and reported to the other gods the terrible news. They decided to try to prevent the death of Baldur even though they knew that fate could not be overcome. Frigg in particular asked any living or dead entity of the universe to swear that they would not harm Baldur. The promise was pronounced by every entity except for the mistletoe. 
Anyway, it was thought to be too feeble to hurt the strong Baldur. Loki, in disguise, interrogated Frigg and discovered her plan's flaw, which he decided to use for one of his most terrible actions. He carved a spear with a mistletoe and... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Then tricked the blind god Hodra into throwing it to Baldur, killing him. The beloved god therefore ended up in the Norse goddess Hell's realm. The gods were all heartbroken at Baldur's death. They arranged a grand funeral where every member of the Aesir and Vanir came together to mourn. Baldur's wife was hurt terribly by the loss. She died of grief as the funeral began. Her body was added to the funeral pyre of her husband so they could journey to hell together. Baldur's mother Thrig had attempted to ensure his protection by making everything in all the nine worlds swear to do him no harm. Although she had overlooked the mistletoe, she was still determined to protect her son. She asked the gods for a volunteer to undertake the long and difficult journey to hell. She hoped that their pain would move hell to pity and Balder would be released back into the world of the living. Hermod volunteered and he was messenger of the gods. Odin lent him Slepnir, his swift horse, that could travel between the realms and Hermod rode towards the gates of Helheim. Even on Slepnir, the journey took nine nights. Hermod rode in total darkness until he reached a bridge near Nefelheim's edge. Continuing downward, he came to the closed gates of Hel. Slepnir easily jumped over them, allowing Hermod to enter the realm, even though he was still alive. Inside, he found Balder seated in a position of honour. He talked with him through the night. This part comes from Snorri Sturluson's Prose Edda, Gillifaginning. In the morning, he asked Hel whether Balder might ride home with him and told how great weeping there was among the Asir. But Hel replied that it should now be tried whether Balder was so much beloved as was said. If all things, said she, both quick and dead, will weep for him, then he shall go back to the Asir. But if anything refuses to shed tears, then he shall remain with Hel. Hermod arose and Balder accompanied him out of the hall. He took the ring Draupnir and sent it as a keepsake to Odin. Nana sent Frigg a kerchief and other gifts, and to Fuller she sent a ring. 
Thereupon Hermod rode back and came to Asgard, where he reported the tidings he had seen and heard. So, when Hermod returned, the gods immediately spread out through the nine worlds, asking every creature they saw to cry over Baldur's death. Without fail, every one of them did. Even rocks and mountains wept when they learned that Baldur could be lost forever. They were nearly done when they met an old giantess living in an isolated region of Jotunheim. When they asked her to cry, Thok replied that she had no love for Odin's son and would let Hel keep him. Thok's refusal to mourn meant that Balder was consigned to Hel for good. The gods would continue to mourn his loss. Stolason notes, however, that Thok was likely not what she seemed. Most people believed that the surly giantess was Loki in disguise, ensuring that Balder would not be able to be brought back to life. As evident from the story of Balder, the goddess Hel would have had full power over those who had ended up in her realm. She was in fact deemed capable of releasing one person's soul, allowing her or him to come back to life. While Hel was expectedly not as busy or frequently visited as most other worlds, it was not entirely devoid of life. The land of death had some of the same features as any other realm. There were some creatures that had been consigned to hell despite not being dead themselves. Other residents were among the dead but still played a role in certain myths and legends. These included the Volva. Odin travelled to hell before Balder's death to speak to a long dead Volva or Ceres. He used the spell to revive her and received the prophecies of Ragnarok. Ganglati and Ganglot. So in the prose Edda, it is said that Hel has a servant and a slave to wait on her in her hall. Whether they are living or dead is not made clear. Both their names refer to laziness. The cock. So the Volva tells Odin that three cocks will crow in different worlds when Ragnarok begins. One of them, the only one that is not named, is a sooty red bird from the halls of Hell. Garm, one of Hell's most well-known denizens, is its guard dog. Chained in a cave at Hell's gate, Garm will break loose at Ragnarok. Modgard, although she does not live within Hell's borders, Modgard is only mentioned in relation to the journey there. She guards the bridge that Hermod crosses as he approaches Helheim and tells him where to go and who has passed recently. Nidhogg. The serpent chews on both the corpses of the dead and the roots of Yggdrasil, spreading decay into the tree. He is one of the many monsters who will be released at Ragnarok. When the Volva gives Odin her prophecy, she says that Hel will have an important part to play. She may be referring either to the goddess of the realm or to the place itself, since both figure into the final story. The named figures in Hel are also connected to Ragnarok because most of them appear in Snorri Sturluson's prose Edda. Much of his work is directly tied to the events leading up to the battle, and more than any other Norse writer, he made use of foreshadowing in telling his story. 
While Snorri Sturluson's account adds many more enemies, Loki and his children were traditionally at the heart of the Ragnarok story. They would be the chief enemies of the gods who, with some allies, would destroy both the world of men and the society of the gods. Loki and all three of his children would break free of the punishments set on them by the gods when Ragnarok began. Fenrir would break his chains, Jormungandra would haul himself back up onto the land and Hel would march out of Niflheim. With her, she would bring all the dead who had been sent to her. Over the course of history, she would collect a massive army of bodies from the nine worlds that Odin had made her the goddess of. She would be accompanied by the monsters that had been imprisoned with her. Garm and Nidhogg would both be freed, as would the frost giants who still lived in the cold land of Niflheim. Descriptions of their invasion would imply that Loki would be with his daughter's army at this time. He would arrive at the site of the battle at the prow of Nagalfar, a ship made entirely from the finger and toenails of the dead. His crew would be made up of Hell's people, the dead and the giants. Despite the prominent role her realm and its denizens would play in Ragnarok, Hel's own place in the battle is never mentioned. Like the goddesses of the Asir and Vanir, Hel does not seem to take part in the battle herself. Although her family and her army of the dead will be destroyed, it is therefore possible that Hel would survive Ragnarok. The Prose Edda, which includes a description of the world being remade after the battle, says that new, more pleasant realms will be made for the dead of Ragnarok and its aftermath. Although she is not named, it is possible that Hel would continue her role as the ruler of one or more of these future afterlife worlds. Hel rules the world beyond life, another plane of existence. Her role and appearance gave her a reputation for being a cruel entity and ignorance turned her into a way to frighten children and to make adults walk a more virtuous way instead of following their free will. In her essence, she is neither good nor bad, just like the goddess Nyx, for example. Sometimes she can be compared to the goddess Kali. Hel is in a privileged position as a guardian and housekeeper of all spirits who did not fall into battle. Although she is often described as the goddess of death, many historians are uncertain as to whether Hel is best categorised as a deity or a monster. One deciding factor would be whether the people of the time had any type of cult or ritual worship associated with her. If people offered prayers and sacrifices to Hell, she was likely seen as a goddess. Unfortunately, it is impossible to know whether this happened because of a scarcity of information. Because rituals were not written about and archaeological evidence is scarce and unclear, how the Norse people viewed Hell cannot be known for sure. Some writers have suggested that based on her characterization and associations, it seems unlikely that Hel would have been seen as a goddess. Others, however, use comparative religion to disprove this assertion. 
Similar death goddesses in other Indo-European cultures were seen as threatening figures, but still received veneration. From the Irish Bob to the Hindu goddess Kali, death goddesses are known outside of the Norse tradition. I absolutely see hell as a goddess. I have some Scandinavian ancestry and have come across many others with the same who work with hell and have several lines of ancestors who worked with her too. Death was such a huge concept to people in early life. It was much more of a concern and much ritual was created around it. Therefore, I feel she absolutely could have been a revered goddess that was honoured. The most detailed descriptions of Helheim come from the prose Edda, which was not written until the early 13th century. While Snorri Sturluson still wrote in Old Norse and demonstrated a familiarity with earlier known works, his writings betray later influences. It is widely believed that many of Sturluson's views on hell were influenced by Christian thought. The only sure original myth featuring the Norse goddess of death hell as a prominent character is the story of the death of Balder. Much of the prose Edda is framed in such a way to make it more palatable to Christian readers and less offensive to the church. Descriptions of hell as a place of punishment and of its rulers' acts of kindness toward those who died of illness may betray the influence of Christian views. Some have even questioned whether Snorri Sturluson invented the character of hell entirely. The writer is believed to have created many of the other characters in his versions of the myths, including Garm and the fire giants. While hell may have been occasionally thought of as a personification, some people believe Sturluson invented the character for his work. Earlier sources often refer to the realm of hell, but rarely, if ever, talk about an associated ruler. The first clear attestations to a goddess of hell are from the 10th and 11th centuries. Some historians believe that hell was originally thought of as the grave rather than any fully realised underworld. When Odin travels to meet the Volva, for example, he has to revive her in order to communicate. As Norse belief was more influenced by traditions from elsewhere in Europe, the idea of an afterlife emerged. The gloomy Greenland of hell is similar to the misty realm of Hades in Greek mythology. Parallels can also be seen between Hermod's journey and the legend of Orpheus. Both journeyed to the underworld to bring back a loved one, a task that failed at the last minute. Because the historical record is incomplete, it may never be known whether Hell was an ancient example of the death goddess archetype, a later personification of the grave, or from another source altogether. She and her realm remain, however, a compelling part of the complex beliefs of the Norse people. Because of her role, it is not uncommon for practitioners of shamanism or other magic practices to ask for her help in contacting the spirits of the dead through dreams or astral projection. Reports say that if she is willing to help, she will appear in a dream or in a vision and she will extend her skeleton hand to be kissed. This is a test to judge those who are worthy of assistance. 
once accepting the deformities of others was seen as a synonym of friendship and respect. Hell can be interpreted as a triple goddess, being the crone, devouring or blackface, the goddess Freya as maiden and the goddess Frigg as mother. Her areas of influence are compassion, healing, transformation and judgment. She is a guardian of the dead, especially children. Her symbols are the Hagalaz rune, skulls, crows, the rake, brooms, black horses, ravens, graveyards, corpses, tombs and burials, witches on brooms, anything rotten or rotting, mould, dark and liminal places, grave mounds, disease and all things funerary. The Black Plague was especially devastating in Scandinavia. Allegedly, hell roamed the land armed with her rake and broom. Villages totally wiped out by the plague were said to have been swept away. Where there were survivors, hell had raked instead. She is both receiver and fetcher of the dead and is thought to be present in illness and the effects of old age. During the Middle Ages in Scandinavia, Hel was said to travel the countryside with her broom and her rake, collecting souls. This poetic depiction of her has survived today through the folkloric icon of the witch astride her broom. And some believe as the figure Baba Yaga in Slavic cultures. As uncomfortable as illness and old age make us, they are necessary parts of the continuation of life. Hell's resemblance to Greco-Roman Persephone, queen of the underworld, both glowing maiden and dark queen, is said to be undeniable. Hell was apparently called Proserpine, another name for Persephone. These cultures were more alike than different, and both Hell and Persephone clearly share an origin in Proto-Indo-European culture. Colours associated with her are black and white. Animals are dogs, horses and wolves. She was said to ride a black mare and she had a pack of hellhounds. Herbs, plants and trees associated with her are holly, yew and elder. Crystals are black obsidian, onyx, smoky quartz and jet. Her sacred day, so hell is honoured annually on the day of hell, July 10th, with prayers, the lighting of black candles and offerings of rose petals, but also at Samhain. Mount Hecla, an active volcano in southern Iceland, was allegedly among the entrances to hell's realm. A nearby town is named Hela. Some have suggested that the mountain shares its name with the goddess, although others protest that Hecla means slab or covering, which would still make it cognate with hell as that is what her name means too. It's also theorised that the Belgian city of Hell may be named in her honour. Hell is the goddess who judges the souls of the dead and chooses the fate of each one. Working with the energy of this goddess is said to be dense yet rewarding. So if you decide to work with hell, 
you might want to try to shamanic journey to meet with her. You could try maybe a guided meditation on YouTube and set the intention to meet with her. Once you are in her presence on the astral plane, you could ask her how best to honor her in your everyday life and for special occasions such as Samhain. Studying up on the law of hell is perhaps the best way to make your first connection with her, especially if you are not quite ready to journey shamanically to meet her yet. That's all I have for you today, witches. This episode has done me, like the pronunciations, it's been a lot. Anyway, I'm going to get back on top form. I will be back. I will catch up with you all soon. Till then, have a great week, witches. Sending you lots and lots of witchy love. <laughs>